Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another live episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I trust that your day went well, but whether it went well or not, we are very thankful that you are listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse this evening and that you are preparing yourself to interact with us on this live program. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan. And Good evening to those who listen to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home this evening. It's a 90-minute program, but you can feel free to send in your question or call in with your question at any time. And maybe it's not a question that you have. Maybe it is a question you've heard others asking and you're not exactly sure how to best answer it. Maybe it is a topic that you would like discussed on That's Truth. Please let us know. Now, we've got a number of questions that have come in that we are going to address, but feel free to send in your question anytime throughout the episode, and we will address it in the order in which it comes in. Pastor Murphy, the first question came in, I believe it was within the last week or so. Good evening, Pastor Murphy and Brother Nathan. Can you do a segment on dreams and if they have any significance? Well, I've given, some, I've given some thought to it, and I just want to share a few ideas and concepts uh, that might help to put it in a biblical perspective. Uh, the first thing I would like to say, we have to acknowledge that when you go to the Scriptures, there's no question that uh, God communicated to several persons in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, by way of dreams. Examples would be Jacob, which you find in um, Genesis chapter 37, verse 5 to 10. There's also Laban in Genesis 3.24. Uh, Joseph is a character who had this uh, facility in Genesis, uh, Genesis 37, verse 9 to 11. Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 7. Solomon, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. And of course, um, Daniel, the book of Daniel uh, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 and following. The other significant characters in the Bible that God used dreams to speak to Abimelech, uh, Genesis chapter 26, verse 2 to 7. Uh, Pharaoh's uh, chief butler and baker, uh, Genesis chapter 4, 40, verse 5. Pharaoh himself in uh, Genesis 41, verse 1 to 8. Uh, the Midianites in Judges seven thirteen, 13. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4. The wise men um, from the east in Matthew chapter 2, Pilate's wife in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, and of course Joseph, um, the, um, the foster father of our Lord in Matthew 1, 20, Matthew 2, 12, 13, and, and 19. So there's no question, that uh, there's no debate whatsoever 
that it was a means of God uh, conveying a message revealing uh, truth to some persons at some point in time. Uh, however, um, I would like to say that um, we got to be very careful of ascribing a dream that we have today uh, to be a communication from God. Uh, the reason for that, basically, is that essentially, uh, according to the book of Hebrews, God hath in these last days spoken to us in His Son. And the Bible is complete. Uh, remember that whether it be the Old Testament the New Testament, those characters that I just mentioned, uh, they didn't have a complete Bible. Uh, we have a complete Bible. So God's full revelation has been given to us. That is a factor that we need to, to bear in mind uh, in respect to this whole matter of the use of, of, of dreams. The other thing is that we must recognize that some dreams uh, are also false and could be part of the occult. For example, Nathan, read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 19 to 20. Deuteronomy eight nineteen and 20 says, And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto God, in the voice of the Lord your God. Okay. Um, in the... The section uh, further on is going to talk about having dreams and people bring dreams and dreamers. Um, um, so, if you look um, also at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 to 5, is that what you just read? You read 8? Uh, I was 8. Okay. Uh, now 13, uh, 13 1, 1 to 5. 5. Yeah. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 4. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And verse 5. And that prophet or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Yeah. So that's a danger of uh, being led by a dreamer or somebody who said they've got dreams. And in, in, in the case here, uh, the dream comes true, but at the same time, they're leading them away from faith and away from the Lord. So the we can't assume that uh, because we have a dream or somebody said they've had a dream that uh, somehow it's a legitimate dream. And we've got to realize that uh, even in the Old Testament, uh, the use of dreams was abused. There's another interesting passage in Ecclesiastes um, chapter 5, verse 3. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. The word there, uh, the uh, dream cometh by a multitude of business. The word that tra translated business there is the word inyah. 
and it means three things. It can mean um, uh, affliction, it can mean uh, depression, and it can also mean um, great labor. So it, it is saying, quite frankly, that uh, dreams are not necessarily coming from God. You can be in a state of um, depression, and you can dream a lot of things. You can be also be in, involved in affliction and going through hardship, and you're overwhelmed with it, and you dream those kind of things. And of course, you can be so exhausted in work mm-hmm. that you you dream. I mean, so you got to realize that there are many sources of dreams, and it doesn't mean that because a person has a dream, it, it's legitimate. So clearly, in the in the, in the Bible, we warned against uh, the abuse of it by a false prophet, but we also warned that this is something that's very natural that can happen as a result of the body being exhausted or weary or tired, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or if you eat too much uh, yeah. on, on a full stomach you can have a, a lot of dreams the other thing I would say today is that I think that the exposure to the media multimedia especially television your mind is able to concoct different stories that you've seen on television and re like juggle them and, and reprogram them to make you the star boy of some incident that you saw an incident that has happened to me quite frankly mm-hmm. in watching something and next thing I'm the one acting out the, the whole thing so your mind uh, plays games with that I would like to offer three cautions of it Number one is this. Uh, dreams were never a routine uh, means of God speaking to people. Uh, it's not a normal way that God spoke, even in the Old Testament. In most cases, He spoke through the prophets. So that mm-hmm. is one thing we have to understand. It's not a normal means of occurrence that God does in the, in the Old Testament. The, the, the second thing is, in every case of a special uh, dream, uh, the individual is given some kind of guidance in the Bible uh, to show his place that has to do some way, uh, something with the working of God's um, saving purpose. It always relates to something related to God's salvific purpose. Uh, whether it be, be Jacob, where he's going to be the ancestor of the, the Messiah, or whether it be um, the danger that um, uh, Sarah would face if she was impregnated by Pharaoh. Uh, when the dream is given, it's always to someone who is involved in some aspect of God's salvific work. And there's not a person you'll find in the Old Testament or the New Testament where it doesn't have some salvific fact factor, either protecting that person because he's an agent uh, involved in in, in, in in the, that progressiveness of God. And then the third thing is this. In every time where there's a dream and a person experiences a dream, God always made the meaning of that dream clear, whether directly by the person or uh, by sending an angel to explain whatever it is. So in every case of the dream, there's an explanation of what the dream meant. I can't think of one incident in the Old Testament or the New Testament where a person uh, had a dream and they weren't given further instructions to what it meant. So those are three caveats that you have to bear in mind. It's not the normal way of God speaking uh, to people. In every case where God spoke to somebody with a dream, it has to do with his salvific purpose. And thirdly, uh, wherever a dream is given, there's always some explanation, whether an angel is sent or a man is sent, but there's no doubt what the dream means. And the last thing I would say, quite frankly, that we must subject all our experiences including dreams, to the authority of God's Word. Even in Deuteronomy, uh, our Lord um, instructed them how to try any spirit if it was not according to the laws because there was no truth 
in them. So the Word of God has to be the absolute authority that we judge every experience we encounter, every dream we encounter, um, um, every idea that is brought uh, to our minds, we must submit that to the Word of God and let the, God, the Word of God be the standard. So any time a person has a dream, I'm not saying that it's not possible for God to speak to somebody in a dream, but that experience of that dream must uh, come under the authority of God's Word. If it's, that dream is leading you away from anything the Bible teaches or teaches something contrary to what the Bible teaches, you know one thing, it cannot be of God. That must be the standard. Otherwise, we all would be open to deception and the misuse of these uh, paranormal f- phenomena we normally would have. With all of that in context, one of the programs that we have here on the Lighthouse is Voice of the Martyrs on Friday evenings. And they interview a lot of um, Muslims from persecuted countries. And many times they reference dreams uh, as part of their testimony. Yeah, what I, are your thoughts I, on I, I was going to mention that, but I, I didn't drop it in my notes, to be honest, because in, in, in doing the research on it, um, there are countless um, experiences with people in Muslim countries, especially those countries where they are shut off in the gospel, the gospel can't preach. Uh, there are countless stories and I, I was going to bring a few of them, to be honest with you. I remember hearing, reading one where um, a, a guy uh, is riding in the desert, a Christian missionary is riding in the desert, and the, the car breaks down. And out of nowhere comes his mother and want to know if, he's the, if, he's the, uh, if this is the man that the Lord has sent. Because in a dream, he was told somebody was going to meet him. The guy didn't have a clue exactly what was happening. The car just broke down. Yeah. But... Things like that are happening at a level that is inexplicable. And it's believed that because these countries are closed off in the gospel, that God is getting through to them in a different means. Of course, ultimately, when they brought the faith and uh, and trust in Christ, they then come under the authority of Scripture. But many of these people don't have access to the Bible. So God is doing some miraculous things in that part of the world. uh, uh, And it's Incredible that uh, to believe that everybody that's given this testimony, especially these converted Muslims, are telling lies. They're all basically saying the same thing. The Lord is appearing to them in dreams and telling them sometimes where to go, sometimes saying, I'm Jesus, the only way, the only truth, etc., etc. I was resurrected. It is just an unusual phenomenon happening in that part of the world. And contrary to what people are saying, there are a lot of Muslims that are converting to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. but not through the normal means because the missionaries are not there. Uh, and if they are there, often it's on the ground. But phenomenal stories, you can go online and Google it, and you see that. Uh, and these are Muslims themselves who are giving their testimony. It's not as though Christians are trying to uh, hog the show, basically. So they're saying basically the same thing. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It is a live, interactive call-in program. But if you don't want to call, you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 268 782 You say, Nathan, what are the limitations of my question? Listen, if you have a question about life, about the Bible, what the Bible says, what the Bible doesn't say, why it doesn't say something, why it puts something in a certain context, or I'm going to leave it open. If you have a question about anything, feel free to call in and we will answer your question from a biblical worldview, what the Bible says on that topic. Again, WhatsApp or text 268 782 
If you're in a position that you're able to call and you'd like to speak live on the air, we would love for you to call. The phone line is open and available, and the number to call is 1-268-462-7420. Again, call and speak live on the air, 268-462-7420. Or join us on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed. And you can comment in the comment section your question or a suggested topic or your concern, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy live on the air in a timely manner. Our next question, did you have anything else you wanted to mention about the dreams? No, I just um, would say to people, don't put too much weight in it. Um, I've had some already. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't share with, with, with the folks, quite frankly, but some that... Uh, shook me up as well uh, so but I have never um, allowed that to guide me uh, again I am a Bible man and I believe that the Bible is God's final authority and that's how he speaks to us today through his word thank you to the individual who sent in that question in relation to dreams and their significance a very practical question especially in the day and age where it seems like so many religious people are getting tied up in emotionalism Our next question is a carryover from last week. We shared it with you last week, Pastor, but you asked for a little more time to be able to digest it in more detail. I will warn you, it is a heavy question, but let me read it. Uh, You want me to go through the whole thing or just piece by piece? uh, Just read it, generally speaking. What is your opinion on a narcissistic husband refusing to have sex with his wife for months on end One time being five months, then eight months, then a year. He gives all sorts of excuses. He cheats, and when confronted in counseling, he's gaslighting the wife and successfully convincing more than one counselor that the wife is insecure and disrespectful. The woman refuses to have sex with him anymore, and he has no interest. He then tried to have sex with her in her sleep without even a conversation. Thankfully, her cycle came on three different occasions. He tried. One other time, he tried again, and she said she can't without protection. He said okay and came back another time with protection. As a Christian wife, should she be intimate with him even without an explanation? What what I would say is that's one of the most horrific, martial um, situations that I ever encountered. Uh, I think virtually, in my judgment, the marriage is broken down, and something has to be done to to salvage it if it is redeemable. Um, I noticed that the person has made their own conclusions. Number one, they've described the husband as narcissistic. That basically means that he's a very selfish, self-centered person and just thinks about himself, doesn't think about anybody else. That's a very strong um, accusation. Uh, but there are people like that, so there's no, no there's no question that it, it could be a reality. The other thing is the, the matter of uh, sexual abstinence. Um, she mentioned um, the one month, uh, five months, eight months, one year, when you put five months, eight months, and that's two years without any kind of intimacy between husband mm-hmm. and wife, that's a serious breach of the marital uh, 
vows, quite frankly. So that's a very, very serious matter. The other thing that is mentioned is that there clearly is infidelity. Um, so you can see why there is uh, that uh, disinterest because it is very, very clear that somebody uh, else is unloading the gun and it is very, very clear that um, a need is being met outside the marriage. So that is another problem you've got to look at. The other thing is that uh, when she mentioned that he wanted to have intimacy after this prolonged abstinence, uh, he does so without any kind of saying anything. So it's seen a breakdown of communication as well between the family. So now you've got narcissism, you've got sexual absence, you've got infidelity, you've got a problem of, of communication. And then the fact that she insisted that he wears a condom on that exceptional night tells me that she lay, she is, has fearful of infection, STD of some kind. I think uh, the first thing I would say here is that um, I think you have to decide if this marriage is salvageable or not, uh, if it is worth saving. That's the first thing I would say that you as an individual uh, who's asking the question, uh, is this a marriage that is can be salvaged? Is it worth saving? Um, the other thing I would say to you is that clearly his problem is not physical because the fact that he is having an affair it is not a physical problem. It's not as though he is impotent or his age is a factor here at all. Clearly, this is not the issue being dealt with. Uh, so you have a, an emotional, relational problem that if he is a professed believer and you are, there's also a spiritual element to it. So you have to look at it not from a physical point of view. You have a relational problem that you need to try to resolve, and that is affecting your emotional relationship to him. And at the root of a lot of this is the fact that I would have no doubt that uh, he's probably either in the accident state or probably he's not a real, genuine uh, believer. And there is a, certainly a spiritual problem here. Um, so as a result of that, uh, the wife seemed to have lost interest uh, in that part of life so that when he now wants to, uh, she no longer... Um, wants to have intimacy um, and then she mentioned of course three nocturnal stealth moves that he made on her when of course fortunately for her as she said a period or whatever uh, was there so we have a, a, a real uh, big problem and I would say to you first of all are you committed to saving your marriage that's the first thing you have to have a commitment if you're in this kind of a dire situation uh, you have to decide if this is salvageable and you really are committed to saving the marriage. But doesn't God want every marriage to succeed? There's no doubt about it, especially if it's a Christian marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, because God wants that, doesn't mean that every Christian wants that. Okay. Right? So yeah. that's why I'm asking that. And it will t because it's going to take work. For this to come out of this situation, it requires tremendous effort on the wife's part and also effort on the husband's part. And if there's no commitment Mm. to secure the longevity of the marriage and the perpetuity of the marriage. You can start, but if the commitment is not there, yeah. it's going to break down. Because this is not a problem that can be solved overnight. Right. This requires some time. And again, I'm not too sure. Um, I don't know how long the marriage has been like this, how long you've been married. And then when you started having the problems, how long these problems have continued. This might be two years, three years, that, and then they begin to deal with the problems. So you have real, real work to do in a situation like that. The other thing I would... Uh, ask the person would be what's your ultimate purpose in life 
Is it your purpose, personal, uh, personal happiness or is it to glorify God with your life? Try to settle that. What's your ultimate purpose in your life? What are you living for? Personal happiness or to glorify God? These are questions that you have to um, settle because depending on how you answer these questions will determine whether or not you're going to put out the effort to save your marriage. Uh, what do you want most? You want your will or you want God's will? Can you say, not my will, but thine be done? Have you reached that stage in your life, which in spite of everything, remember our Lord is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's facing the, the ultimate, which is death. And not just an ordinary death, an ignominious death that is so shameful that uh, it is inconceivable when you read what the, the, what is all about. Not the niceties that you see on television with a man with a loincloth. I mean, he's stark naked before his mother, uh, completely uh, disgraced and, and humble. But yet, everything in him was uh, repulsed because he's holy. Yet he said, not my will, but thine be, be done. Can you say that in this situation? Everything has hurt you. Everything is, is against you, basically. You probably have tried almost everything you can conceive of, but it hasn't worked. But have you, are you still willing to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done? And of course, God's will is that people stay within marriage. So that's why I'm asking, <laughs> settle these kind of questions. Um, and then, uh, what do you believe is God's will about marriage? Uh, does he want marriage to work? Or does he intend to end it and terminate it? In other words, these are the probing questions that you have to settle in your mind. And once you've settled those things in your mind, let's suppose you say to me, Pastor, look, I'm not just here about happiness. I'm about glorifying God in my life. Um, it's, I don't just want my will. I want God's will to be done. And I believe that marriage is permanent. And I believe this is what, this is what God will desire. If you can come to that stage... I think then you're ready to do the hard work. <coughs> and uh, I would suggest to you that the first thing that has to that happen is to try to build a bridge between you and your husband. Communication has to be reestablished. It, this is a relational problem. You're not talking. Uh, your virtue is in the same house, it would seem. And there's, there is intimacy that is periodic and prolonged uh, absence of it. So somehow <coughs> you have to get back to no matter <coughs> you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua on 1160 AM 92.3 <coughs> FM and online at radiolighthouse.org whether it's on AM whether it's on FM whether it's on Facebook whether you're listening to the podcast or whether you're joining us online we are thankful that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening to join us on That's Truth and when I say join us I mean not just by listening but also sending in your questions and your thoughts there's a number of ways you can communicate with us you can call 1-268-462-7420 That'll put you live on the air. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Or you can go on Facebook Live, go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, and then comment your question or your concern in the comment section, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Yeah, sorry about that. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm saying that you have to try to reestablish some kind of relationship. And I would think any person that is 
going to uh, help you to, to counsel you will have to um, demand that part of the counseling process is that you have a regular, um, I would say almost daily uh, chats with each other. This is something that you do not because you like to do it. It's not something that you enjoy doing it. But this is to uh, start the bridge by communicating. So one of the one of the uh, part of the homework you'll have to do is to start talking with each other on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And you have to make time just to talk, just to talk, just to talk. So the communication has to, because you can't heal relationships without communication. So you've got to have this thing, this thing, this thing, this matter going. So that's the first thing I would suggest that you have to, to work on. The other thing that uh, is vitally important has to do with your actions to each, each, each person. Um, you, the Bible tells us that if our enemy is, is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. That's a biblical principle. The way to break down a person's resistance is, is kindness, is thoughtfulness, is action, basically action. Attitude and action are the two things that are now required of. The attitude will begin to change if the action towards each other. So the other thing I would suggest that would have to be done is you start to have to start doing things that you did regularly before. For example, by now you must have stopped doing his breakfast. By now you might have stopped even ironing for him. By now um, you probably used to have the food ready and warm when he came in. Quite frankly, it could be as cold as ice now. You could put it on care. So what has happened, a lot of things have happened that now it is for so long, you stop doing certain things that you normally would have done within the marital relationship. You have to start redoing some of those things, quite frankly. Not only uh, you doing that, but he, the person as well, the other person has to reciprocate and start redoing some of the things that the family did that showed you affection and love, et cetera, et cetera. So does that mean you have to start being intimate as soon as the individual wants? The, the problem with that, Nathan, is that it, it, that is just mechanical, okay. quite frankly. That's very difficult. A woman is not like a man. A man is like a light switch. He's off and on. A woman is like a... Like a it's like an urn. It takes time to warm her up, right? <laughs> You're smiling, okay. But so uh, uh, men don't understand that, right? Men really don't understand that. A man can come in and see the house burn down the bedroom there. He want to jump in the bed, okay? The bedroom's the only thing left. That's a man. A woman is completely different, right? She wants privacy. She wants some kind of intimacy, whatever it is. Completely different person. Men are just made and wired very, very, very differently. They like um, volume uh, and women like quality, quite frankly. But anyhow, uh, it's very difficult. That would have to be understood that it's going to take a while because it'd be very strange to go through intimacy, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this, is, this, this, this relationship is strained. So I think they need to discuss that, uh, quite frankly. I think as a relationship improve, I think that one person needs to reach out to the other person and uh, because you do have obligations to fulfill uh, the, the sexual role in the marriage. So there are times when that might have to be done without feelings, quite frankly. But you're meeting a need because if there's already infidelity and you shut off the person, chances are it's going to continue. So unless you are prepared to... That's why I said it, it requires a lot of sacrifice on the other person's part. But there has to be this commitment. I want to save my marriage. I want God's will to be done. Uh... I believe that marriage is something to be permanent. I'm willing to make whatever sacrifices required. That's involved. The other thing that has to be worked on is the matter of forgiveness. Uh, and it, it works two ways. I would say to the person here, you try to 
be as objective as possible and ask, in what way have you contributed to the situation as it is? I'm not saying you're responsible for it, but there are two people in a relationship, and even though the person might have not been acting a certain way, you, how you respond could put it into a downward spiral, and therefore it can lead to uh, you being a part of the contribution why this has developed and gone so far. So look at it very honestly. Have I done anything, quite frankly, uh, that could have helped to create this monstrous situation I find myself in and in a case like that you you, you accept responsibility you're, you're, you're prepared to, to face that fact that you know that uh, um, I have been responsible in a sense and I haven't been doing this or whatever it is I think that is very 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 important the other thing I think is uh, get some kind of accountability uh, get somebody that both of you trust that as you work on your marriage will be prepared to maybe call you on a weekly basis or as you as you would desire to check on you that when things are given to be done for example uh, to rebuild the relationship the, you're told, you know you have to talk to each other every evening basically and maybe 15 or 20 minutes somebody has to check to see that that is being done and uh, you have to find somebody who you could say, listen, I want you to help us through this process. It's a long process. And I, I know we're all going to have a tendency to fail. And we promise to do things. We now, I want you to hold me accountable to these kind of things. I think that helps to have an accountable person who is there to follow up what the assignment is, that the assignment is done uh, regularly. Except, and then if it is not done, of course, to, to reprimand or, or whatever it is. But I think that is crucially important. And the other thing I would say to, to, to the person here is that you have to get some kind of counseling. Uh, I don't think that the two of you can work this out on your own. You did make a, a comment uh, in your presentation where you did say that uh, the person has been able to make, um, you've been to f- for counseling, and I think you said that um, successfully convinced twice one or toward, more yeah, counselors yeah, yeah, that, that the, the wife was the one who was disrespectful and uh, insecure and stuff like that. Um, so you, you, you have tried. And I would say to you that uh, it's not worth uh, giving up on a situation like this. It seems to me that the kind of question you asked there, should a Christian wife still be intimate with a person like that? It seems to me that you still have a residual Christian concern about what your your duties as a wife in a current situation is. So you're not. It's not as though you're so bitter at Christianity that you abandon Christianity and, and don't care about what a Christian wife should do. So it seems to me that you still have a Christian way of thinking, and that augurs well. The problem is, of course, the husband now. Uh, what is his Christian standing? What is his Christian position on these type of matters? Uh, he certainly uh, needs to be confronted on these kind of matters. And the, the issues that was raised, the narcissism, the, the sexual uh, abstinence, the infidelity, the fact of communication, your fear of STDs, those are items that will have to be covered during the, the counseling process. Uh, these cannot be ignored. Uh, so those are items that need to be done. done. But I would say to you, uh, without um, knowing and going through all the other other things that need to be done, because these things have to be have incrementally. These are not things that are going to happen uh, overnight. But I think if you start back talking, and you start by doing a, uh, making a regular effort to, to converse and chit chat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, 
and, and stuff like that. I think that will help to break, break down some of the, the coldness between the two of you. And it would not be. And the other thing is this uh, if I were your husband and I was as culpable as this gentleman seemed to be, uh, and if I was um, counseling him in, in this whole thing, he has to win you back. There's no doubt about that. He has mm-hmm. to win you back. So that would mean taking you out, um, same romantic things that you did before you were married. Those are things that he would now have to reactivate to reestablish the fact there's real affection between yourself and him. So he has a lot of work to do. It's not, it's not, it can't be done on one side. Okay, it takes two hands to clap, and in the case of this case, to, for this marriage to be saved, you have to be willing to, to to make the effort. But he also has to be willing to put in the work to try to make it uh, happen. You know, uh, I've said this on on radio, and I'll say it again. It is my honest Christian belief that any two Christians can make it if they surrender to the Lord and come under the authority of God's Word and work on their marriage. Uh, If we as Christians cannot salvage marriages that are on the rocks, God knows that I don't know of any other group out Mm. there that that can do it. And I I say this uh, when I'm counseling people. One of the things that I am looking for as a a counselor and a pastor is that I wish that I had a cadre of people who had gone through marital problems, uh, worked through their problems, and created a marriage that is sterling, that you can send people struggling with those issues and say, go and talk to so-and-so. They have found God's way of dealing with this this kind of thing. That's what we need in Christianity. Uh, a, a, a pastor, a counsel, counsel, he has not been through a lot of these things. He's trying to help. But when people have gone through them and come out on the bright side of it, uh, to have actual living um, success uh, persons that you can refer to, it makes a world of difference. And that's where I think the... It's like Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, that God comforts us with the comfort wherewith He comforts, that we may be able to comfort other people. And what I'm saying that uh, when we have our problems and God helps us to work out our problems, it's not we are not the end of that. We are means to an end, and we're just instruments. And I would hope that uh, this person would uh, look at it from that perspective, and understand that they can uh, be a valuable uh, instrument in God's hand to help other people who are going to. Because uh, you might be surprised, this may not be the exception. Hmm. This will be far more common than uh, than people. But the problem here is that this person is a very open person and probably talking about issues that most people would bury and would hardly ever speak about. But it's a, it's a, it's certainly, these kind of problems are, are common um, in marriage. Thank you to the individuals who have sent in questions so far this evening. A WhatsApp question from Trinidad. Good night. Is it normal to feel depressed for no apparent reason? Depression normally has some precipitating cause. Uh, if you have... Um, it just happens that might in most cases a medical a medical uh, condition is some organic problem but generally speaking um, um, depression is triggered because of something that happens uh, something that uh, normally a loss um, uh, something unfortunate happens but you you don't normally uh, end up 
uh, being depressed unless something happens that disrupts your equilibrium and and maybe uh, hurts or pains you in some way. So if you find that it is just continuous, uh, you might need to get some medical physician to do some kind of test on you to see if maybe a thyroid or something is is not uh, functioning. But uh, it's not normal that you are depressed every day. Now, again, if you're in a depressed situation, like a home situation, where every time you come home, you don't want to come home, no, that triggers depression on a regular basis. But if, if your environment uh, is a very drab environment that you dread um, I, I can see that happening on, on, on a regular basis and that's where you, you need maybe change the environment uh, if you can change the environment but something has to change if you're going to come out of that, that depression The WhatsApp question from Antigua Good night Pastor Murphy Can you please explain Genesis 44 specifically verses 5 and 15 Just to give you the context this is the chapter where Joseph is testing his brothers and he puts the cup back into their um, their sack of wheat Uh, Genesis 44 verse 5 says Is not from this that my Lord drinks And by this that he practices divination, you have done evil things in doing this. And then skipping down to verse number 15, it also talks about divination. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? That's a tough one. I mean, looking at it there... um um, I, I let me. I don't. I don't think I can answer that right off the bat mm-hmm. without doing some kind of um, looking at the text and, and seeing exactly what is meant there. Um, but that would seem to indicate <coughs> that Joseph has adopted the Egyptian customs of using the the cup, and, and normally they would use um, re- reflections in the water okay. uh, to find out uh, what needs what needs to be done. So I would just need to to respond to that to try to give a a, a proper answer uh, without giving something off the cuff and trying to defend Joseph or not defend Joseph. What I would say to to you and everybody else, the Bible records what actually happened. It doesn't mean that everything that happened God approves, and that is something you need to look at. For example, uh, all the 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 evil aspects of even Solomon's life. And the fact that in his old age, uh, women turn his mind away from God, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that's recorded. That doesn't mean that God approved of it. Okay, so because something of this nature might even be recorded, it's just a fact that is stated, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's something that God ha- has approved. And this is not the only incident you'll find of that nature. You remember that at uh, one time, um, one of, J- I think it was Jacob's um, wives, hid the terrapin. Under, uh, mm-hmm. she sat on it. You remember so that? The idols. Yeah, that's yeah. an idol as, as well. You know, it's, remember that this. You're talking about <clears throat> uh, a world of uh, people still riding camels and and uh, people living in, in tents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is a very, very um, enla- unenlightened age in terms of development of spirituality. Even the things that uh, Abraham would do and other characters would do in the Old Testament, you have to understand them in the context of their time. They're coming out of a pagan pagan um, lifestyle. They're coming out of paganism. But it doesn't mean they don't have residual 
um, effects that they face as they come out of this kind of uh, experience. So I would not be surprised that you'll encounter things like that. Uh, we try to judge all Old Testament characters by New Testament standard. And that becomes a problem because we have got far more light than they had. Our Lord has come, and uh, we get the New Testament, plus we got the Old Testament. And remember that none of these, like Joseph, uh, would never have had the law. The law was written by Moses. Okay. okay? So you got to remember he has no, no, no law that puts restrictions and stuff of, of that nature. You have to look at them in, in the context of, of, of those things. But I will respond to that. Uh, I believe I can do a better job by doing it next week than just to ramble through it without um, just trying to give an answer to support or defend something that might be indefensible. Uh, that verse kind of caught me off guard, and I've read Genesis specifically for Joseph uh, a number of times. He's one of my heroes of the faith, yeah. and especially some of the verses where it says that God was with him in everything that he did. So I'm curious to see what you find from your study in answering that question. Obviously, we are all this side of eternity. We are all sinners. Speaking of sinners, Pastor, what is it that allows me or allows any one of us to be right with God, and how can we have confidence that we're right with God when we die? Well, if you take the Bible uh, on face value, it is very, very clear that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we have security. Um, he made it very clear that the person who believes in him and put their faith and trust in him, that uh, no man is able to pluck them out of his hand, and he said they will not perish, no never ever perish. So taking uh, our Lord's word, when we repent of our sins and we put our faith and trust in him, we have the security that um, he will keep us uh, in a safe state and he will ultimately uh, redeem us. There's a great chapter in the book of Romans chapter 8 that points out very clearly in the last part of Romans chapter 8. Maybe you can read the last three or four verses there. At the end of Romans chapter 8, if you're wanting to follow along, I'm going to pick up in verse 37 and read through verse 39. No, in all things, these, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, that's the biblical expression of the complete security that the believer has who's put their faith and trust in Christ. Uh, so uh, when you read a passage like that, and uh, there's so many others as well, uh, clearly the answer to that question about our security has to reside in the fact that we've put our faith and trust in Christ, and he has pledged and committed himself to to uh, take care of the believer. You remember when he said that uh, another passage in the Bible says, I've not lost any that the Father has given to me. Right. Right. And uh, it's inconceivable that he would lose any of his own because he has all power and all might. And uh, he said, I am, we're in his hand and we're in the Father's hand. So we are doubly secure. And of course, we have the Holy Spirit that has sealed us until the day of redemption. It all is contingent and whether or not we have our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. You're listening to CRL. If you have a question, you can call and ask it live on the air, 268-462-7420. 
is the phone number to call. The phone line is open and available awaiting your call. Don't want to speak live on the air? Not a problem. You can WhatsApp or text your question to the following number. one 268 782-1454. You can also join us on Facebook Live and go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed and comment your question in the comment section. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.20. If you are listening to the rebroadcast of this program on Saturday afternoon, we are thankful you're listening, and you can still send in your WhatsApp or text question to 268-782-1454, and it will be answered the following Tuesday when we have a live episode. If you call to be put live on the air, no one's in the studio on Saturday afternoon for the rebroadcast of the program. Pastor, last week you dealt with the topic of marital rape, and it seems like we have a lot of questions, a lot of things in the current day and age that we live, almost an avalanche of sexual problems in society. Is there an answer as to why that is and as to why there's so much promiscuity among young people? I think that we um, did hint at that last time we had the broadcast. We did, did mention a little thing about that, but I think it's proper for us to maybe go a little bit more detail. I think there's several uh, factors that have helped contributed to this state of promiscuity and immorality among the young people. Um, I am not going to give you a particular order that is sequential, but I will mention a, a number of things I think are crucial. One has to do with the dysfunctional family structure that I think uh, we're now finding ourselves in. Uh, there are a lot of negative effects uh, as a result of the breakdown of the family unit uh, we used to have a mom and a dad and children that formed the what is called the nuclear family. Uh, this has now been completely almost uh, dismantled. So we have situations now where you have divorce, you have separation, you have single parenting, you have blended families, you have people shacking up, you've got people who have multiple partners. And one of the effects of this is that it does lead to the loosening of the morality among adolescents and the engaging uh, in a lot of sexual activity. One research uh, study by uh, a guy called Fluing and Benham, uh, they concluded that there is a consistent pattern uh, that shows a direct correlation between the family structure and adolescents involved in, in, in sexual, premature sexual activity. That has been proven again and again and again. In other words, when you have marital disruption, uh, it plays a measurable role in the young person's vulnerability uh, to sexual activity because there's very little adult supervision. And uh, if the marriages break down, it means that the standards that would create a core marriage is also broken down. So the children don't have any guidance, don't have any models, don't have any pattern to follow. And that uh, somehow seems to result. Um, and there's no discipline. 
but you don't have those kind of restraints and you're getting a certain age, 13, and you're going through uh, puberty, and you get all these hormones begin to play, you're going to school, you interact with, 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 with children from different backgrounds, etc. Uh, you get exposed to the internet pornography. It's a, it's a miracle that any one of them could survive in that kind of, mm-hmm. without a proper family structure. The key to education and the key to morality is the family structure. If you can rebuild the family structure, chances are you can begin to curb the problem of um, illegitimacy and also curb the problem of uh, inadequate learning and, and, and poor results. The family is the key, and I think that's one of the key factors when it comes to this whole matter of promiscuity. How would you respond to the listener that says, Pastor Murphy, you're just upset that your view of what is traditionally right is being rewritten or is being changed. It's not really an issue of what's right or wrong. It's just the new societal norm. How would you respond? Uh, I plead guilty because as far as I'm concerned, what I'm more concerned about anything is the biblical norm, not pastor, pastor's norm. I'm a Christian. Uh, I take the Bible seriously. I believe in the Bible. I believe in, in everything that the Bible teaches. And no one can read the Bible without understanding what God's plan is for the home of the family and what God's plan is in in regards to human sexuality. Remember that man did not create sex. God created it. And God intended that it be used within the context of marriage. That is how God intended. Most of our problems today, whether it be poverty, you just list it. Whether it be the amount of STDs we got, it doesn't matter. By the way, we got over 50 STDs right now, okay? 20 of them are a major problem. We got over 50 STDs. When I was coming up as a boy, they only had two gonorrhea and syphilis. Now we got over 50. <laughs> and uh, we got another one that just came up as well, the, uh, the, the pox, what they call it again? The monkey pox. The monkey pox right? And the more to come, believe you me. <laughs> but uh, again, one cannot um, ignore as a Christian that um, God is the designer of mankind. He's the designer of marriage. He knows exactly what would work. He has put strictures on what uh, gifts he's given to us, how those gifts need to be used. And there's no question that sex is sacrosanct uh, for God in terms of uh, re- reserving it for marriage. So I plead guilty uh, that we're living in a, uh, in a society, in a world that has completely abandoned all Christian norms, especially in the area of sexuality. And uh, my disappointment is not about myself is the fact that we're not following the Lord and there are always moral consequences when we deviate from, from biblical truth. In other words, we don't break the law. The law turns around and breaks us eventually. So when we go down this path of immorality and, and promiscuity, you can bet that there's some bigger things coming and has come and yet there are bigger ones to come. If I had the statistics uh, and I would they'd come here to deal with the, the whole moral issue, uh, the level of um, Herpes, for example, and herpes is something that's incurable. You can't cure herpes. Right. You can just suppress it, and uh, it's a miserable disease to have, to be very honest with you. Uh, and everybody knows that AIDS is, is not curable. All you can do is to suppress it. But again, the medication that you have to use uh, to keep yourself alive and all these side effects is a very miserable life to live. And we're not telling the young people the truth about these type of things. But Nathan, to answer your question, I plead guilty that um, not my view, but God's view is not in the forefront of uh, policy when it comes to morality, and that um, in the actual fact men are violating it on a regular basis, and I would like to see some return to some sanity 
on, on these matters. And I think it is feasible if we can salvage the home and somehow restore the home to what the home's supposed to be. Uh, and I think any government that is concerned about the welfare of its people should look more closely of how to help the family uh, rebuild itself and how we can salvage the family. I think that would be one of the greatest achievements any government can, can do if they can save the family and restore the family to what it's supposed to be. What about media or the music? I mean, just this past weekend, I heard some music pastor, and I am not exaggerating that over 50% of the words that were in this so-called music were vulgar. I mean, just incredible. I couldn't believe that someone would play it in public and not be ashamed. Is that not changing our norms? Yeah, well, that's another of the factors that play into this whole um, situation where we are cre- creating a, a promiscuous mind that results in promiscuous acts, okay? Um, I have a son who recently attended his wife and went on a, um, I wouldn't call it a cruise, but somebody was having their birthday and they were invited because, and they just assume. Uh, quite frankly, when they came back and gave me a report, the you saw vulgar songs. Mm-hmm. He, they told me about some things that uh, they got one song. They told me that you're supposed to bend down and, and tie your lace and something like that. It's the most vulgar song that you could mm-hmm. ever imagine. And and the thing about it is that the women are behaving mm-hmm. as though they're being insulted. Right. They're being demeaned. Okay. They're be treat, being treated as trash, as just a sex object. And they seem to be enjoying themselves. There's no, there's no uh, sh- sense of shame. There's no sense of shock. There's no pushback. There's no sense of embarrassment. It's as though that's what we are. Right. And I think that uh, I can't see why um, decent women should not push back on these type of things because it's very, very demeaning to to use this kind of language. And, you know, think that this is your daughter you're going to have that these guys are going to be dealing with, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no question about it that the media is culpable um, in terms of creating this kind of environment that has turbocharged the mind of our young people in respect to promiscuity. No question about that. So is it too much for a Christian parent to put up some guardrails and delimit and say, no, this is not allowed in the home? No, I think that's what Christian parents should be doing. Uh, And I think if you have um, uh, Christian parents that love the Lord and the children know that my parents really love me and care about me, right? If that is being reinforced by a lifestyle, I'm not just saying not to do it, but I don't do it myself. And I have standards that I live by. I think once that's reinforced by the lifestyle of the parents, I think uh, children should be more than willing to conform to their parents' requirement. But parents have to be able to put limits. If there's something in a Christian home that is, is, is vulgar and being played, they ought to be able to be to tell the child, turn that off, turn it down, whatever it is. But they should not tolerate that in the Christian home. And I think they should put strictures. You know, if this is the kind of music that you're going to play in your home, you're going to lose access to whatever it is that you're using, right? Um, but you have to start, you can't be against something that is absolutely wrong and then tolerate it in your home. That says to the child that, quite frankly, you own, you have convenient morals. Hmm. So I think it's important that you should put some, talk to the child. If you give them a, if you're going to give them a, 
um, a cell phone or you're going to give them a, a small radio or you're going to give them an access to whatever it is. Explain to them that there are guidelines on this kind of thing. Don't put the guidelines after the uh, it has begun to happen. Set the guidelines clearly ahead of time. I think a lot of parents are lazy when it comes to that, Nathan. They don't think of what the possibilities are, how this thing can be abused. But what would you say to the parent who says, but Pastor Murphy, maybe my child hasn't thought about using this technology in this way, and by putting these guardrails here or mentioning this topic, it may whet their appetite for them to go explore into that. How do you strike that balance? Uh, That may be a rare possibility, but the way this world is today, especially if they're interacting in, in school setting with people around their age, believe you me, uh, they probably know more about these things than your dad knew when he was in his 50s. Uh, everything is, 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 is open today. Everything is common. Everything is available, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think that uh, it would be an unusual person who is shut off from all reality that um, are not aware that these are things that are, are, are happening. Yeah. Codrington, thank you for calling. And go ahead quickly with your question for Pastor, please. Okay, thank you. You know, when you call me Codrington, you know, I'm a child of um, Mary, my mother. What, so, what's your um, question, Codrington? My question is, God is so wonderful, so loving, and so kind. You know that God don't love the devil. As how we say, but the devil have a lot of disciples where he have on earth working around this so and God saving will still love them. Right? Because I have two nephews living with me inside this house here and they have evil spirit all over the house to threaten me. And I don't have nothing to do with them. And just want to know how and God still want us to love the gift the die his disciples and them. Well, um, number one, I want you to eventually say when you call this program, you're a child of Christ, not a child of Mary. I hope eventually you reach that stage because I have repeatedly said this and I'm not trying to offend you. If you are depending on Mary to get you in, you're not going to get in. I guarantee you're not going to get it on. You have to have Christ and Christ alone. Now, respect to your nephews. Um, and um, you use some very strong language that they're disciples of the devil. Uh, I am not too sure from what aspect you're looking at. Uh, Is it their behavior? Is it their conduct? Are they involved in some kind of spiritism or cult practice? I'm not too sure the the angle you're coming from. What I would say to you, if you are professed, if you profess to be a true, genuine Christian, uh, I'm hoping that you're modeling the kind of life that would cause those boys, those those nephews to respect you. If you're claiming to be a child of God and you're claiming to be a Christian and you are engaged in things that are outside the pale of uh, what Christian practice should be, do not be surprised that uh, any reprimand that you offer or any counsel you offer is repudiated because your life does not match what you're saying. So that's the first thing I would say to you. Make sure that your life falls in line uh, with your counsel and uh, whatever you're telling these young men. The other thing I would say to you is, look, we can't change people. God has to change them. And sometimes we have to be very, very patient with people, uh, even though it is very hurtful for us uh, to to go through this process. So if they are not saved and you want to redeem them, 
you have to be willing to endure the the hardship for a period of time, live the life before them, share your testimony before them, and um, trust the Lord while you're praying for them that the Lord will bring about some kind of change in their lives. But you have to love people. Uh, and I would say to your, your, your family, you've got to love them. It uh, doesn't mean that you like them. And there's a difference between liking and loving, okay? Loving is that you treat the person as you want to be treated. It doesn't mean that the emotions uh, of their, uh, that is stirred by their behavior, the negative emotions, it, it's, it's going, to be, going to be pleasant for you. You, might, you may actually feel bad about what they're doing, but you still have to show love to them and, and treat them as they would want to be treated. Uh, and, and hopefully that if you pray and you live the life, and you, you treat them with, with uh, Christian love, um, you just got to ask the Lord to try to work on them in that regard. If there's anybody in your neighborhood that's a, a good Christian, a fine Christian, uh, around their age, and you find that you're not effective in your testimony for them, ask that person, would you come and talk to my, my niece, my nephews for me, uh, and, and, and share the gospel and the glad tidings with them. Um, that's what you, you, you can do. I, I, there's no quick solution to this problem. But I do feel that if you show the right interest and the right practice, uh, I, I believe that there's a possibility that there could be a transformative moment in their lives. Thank you for your call and your question, Codrington. Continue to keep listening and keep your focus on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 836 we're broadcasting from the island of Antigua, and we would love to have you ask your questions. The phone line is open and available again. You can call and ask live on the air. 268-462-7420 is the number to call. You don't want to speak live on the air? Not a problem at all. You can WhatsApp or text your question. If you want it to remain completely anonymous and not have us even mention what uh, country area code the question is coming from just put anonymous at the beginning and we will keep it the call screener won't even pass on any of that information to me just the question alone and there's no way it can be try traced back to you again maybe it's not a question that you have but it's a question that you hear asked a lot maybe even around the lunchroom table at your work and you would like for Pastor Murphy to share a biblical perspective of how to answer the question. Feel free to send it in. We would be very grateful to you. You can send your WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Until we get your question, we are talking about why there seems to be such an excess of, maybe excess isn't the right word, there needs to be so much promiscuity among young people. Pastor, is there any correlation between poor dating practices and promiscuity? Well, when it comes to, to dating, um, one of the problems that um, helped to stir um, this sexual interest is that if you start uh, too early, uh, remember as, 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 you, as people date, they don't grow apart. So if you start dating very, very early, it means that virtually what is happening, that the, the longer you date, the closer you're getting together because you're, you're, you're becoming more familiar with each other. You're, you're, you're um, allowing each other to have greater, more liberty. And then at some point in time, you, have, you seem to have more freedom uh, and stuff like that. So one of the, the things about um, 
promiscuity is that you have to watch the um, the encouragement for people to get engaged too early in uh, in in dating. One study by uh, research Brent uh, C. Miller and Terence Olson uh, they did a study of twenty four hundred teenagers. And this is some of the data that was compiled as a result of, of this matter. They said that the, the younger a girl begins to date, the more likely she, uh, she is to have sex before graduating from high school. The, the girls who started dating at 12, 91% of those were in sexually involved before graduation from high school. Wow. Those who began dating at 13, 56% of those were engaged in sexual activity. Those who engage uh, started at 14 was 53%, and those who engage um, dating when they were 16, it was down to 20%. So you see the direct correlation. The, the more, the sooner you start dating, the likelihood is that you are going to be engaged. And you can see why that happens, because as I said before, you're growing towards each other. There's a more familiarity, there's more freedom, there's more liberty. And, and, and often, um, your parents as well, because you've been knowing each other for so long, if they're not very careful, they uh, allow you to do certain things and be in certain places because they, they trust you and that, that, that leads to that kind of matter. So I think that is one of the, the, the big factors, starting uh, romance too soon. Uh, and the earlier romantic interests, uh, the, the greater your possibility that you're going to get involved in some sexual activities. So what, what should be done, Nathan, is to try to substitute that sexual interest and that arousal basically by um, <clears throat> getting involved in athletic activities, stuff like that. <clears throat> I don't know why um, in the Caribbean we haven't started something, a, a kind of a par-church um, organization that catered to both boys and girls, especially in those that danger period between 12 and like 16. We need something. Uh, I know that they used to have the guides. I am not too sure how many people are involved in the, in the guides movement and the girls. I know that the scout movement pretty much has collapsed, quite frankly. But uh, I find that when I was growing up, that is what occupied a lot of my, my, my interest, getting involved in the scout movement. I was involved in the scout movement for a number of years. It's something I love profoundly. And I think that it is something that uh, needs to be rekindled. There was also something called the Forge Club, which was uh, more about agriculture, keeping rabbits and keeping okay. animals. You you met uh, and stuff like that. And you got badges as well mm -hmm. for doing certain type of things. In other words, it was a, it was a distraction of... You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and we're talking specifically about the amount of promiscuity that unfortunately in the day and age that we live is found among young people. And some of the reasons, some of the issues to be aware of, and then I'm sure as the program wraps up, Pastor will address some ways of how we can better address the issue and move forward in the correct direction. Yeah, so I was just saying that I I do think there's a real scope for opportunity for um, some creative Christians to really uh, be willing to get involved on a volunteer basis and, and get something done within the, the context of the Caribbean to really make this something that is 
um, just that you have these international organizations that cater to, to youth. But I think that within the church setting, uh, I really think there's an opportunity there. But you need to have people who are really dedicated and committed and willing to give their time uh, to be part of this whole thing, to help the young people, to stir them away, get get them involved in, in, in wholesome things as opposed to uh, being bogged down with the the internet and the cell phone and so on and so forth. I think something needs to be done along that line. A topic that would tie into this that I know has been controversial both in the secular and in the religious homes would be sex education. Should it take place in the home? Should it take place in the school? To what degree should it take place in the school? Who should talk about it? What are your thoughts from a biblical worldview? Well, I would say this. Any kind of sexual education is going to arouse interest. You, you can't, uh, you can't, uh, and curiosity uh, of the opposite sex. So I don't care if you teach it in the school or you teach it in the home. The moment you begin to deal with, with the sexual issues, you've got to realize you're doing two things. You're focusing the child's interest in that direction and they are going to be very, very curious about it. So the question is... So uh, let's just not discuss it. No. Well, it, it, it should be discussed, but I am of the opinion that um, it the proper people to do this, uh, I believe, are the parents. And if I was a government, I would teach the parents. I would have a class for the parents to teach them. In other words, rather than teach the children, I would teach the parents how to teach their children. If that didn't work, uh, I would always try to get the parents in the setting where this education is being taught. I could not see somebody teaching my child sex education uh, and I as a parent don't have the right to sitting on the class to see what is being being, being done. So I do feel that um, parents should be involved in it and I feel that uh, without that kind of involvement I think the children are vulnerable because the interest is created and the curiosity that is there. Uh, and I think that would lead to experimentation and be looking for opportunity circumstances to engage in this kind of activity. So we just, what we're doing is, you know, the belief that if you teach people what is right, they'll do right. That's a myth. See, that's a complete myth. If that were true, education would solve all our problems, hmm. right? So that's a myth. The truth of the matter is, if you teach people uh, these kind of things, they become curious and become uh, interested in it. And unless they have some control, moral control, and that's where the gospel comes in. Uh, the gospel comes in and it gives you self-control because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So in that sense, but to teach a person who's not a Christian these things and expect uh, a measure of self-control is like putting water, uh, putting fire, uh, coals on the fire and expecting it somehow to die down. No, you inflame it. And I think that's what happened in this matter. I think that um, the government should exploit the possibility that if they're going to do the teaching of sex education in the school, let it be taught by a couple, married couple. Uh, I am not convinced that uh, t people who are not married and who themselves are actually engaged in, in activity like that have a, can teach my child or your child um, any kind of sex that, that, that along a moral base. So I do feel that it's important to have, if you're going to do that, a husband and wife team should do it. The Boys should be taught by the male, 
and the female, but the idea of bringing two together and somebody teaching that, that should never, should never happen uh, in the school. There should be, I don't know if it happens in the school, but if it does, it, it needs to stop and it should be desisted on. And the other thing I have mentioned, Nathan, along this line is that I feel that, uh, I feel that if the government were to meet with the pastors and their wives and say, look, we have a problem in this country, and it's not just Antigua, it's Barbados, all over the place. We're trying to rebuild and give some structure to the home. And these children are going to be sexually active because the Internet, whatever it is. And we need somehow to bring good moral teaching on this matter. Would you help us? Would you help us? And I think it should be done on a volunteer basis. I don't think the government should have to pay pastors and their wives to come into the schools and sit down and talk to children about these type of matters. I think it would be a challenge for pastors, and I think it would be an opportunity for pastors' wives to really have one-on-one with these type of situations. So if, it, if it's going to be taught and the government feels it's necessary that we teach it, I think there are ways of dealing with it that are far more conducive to teaching it within a moral context than the current way it has done uh, within the school system. <clears throat> there are those that would say that alcohol and drugs are tied to this free sex movement, the sex problem in society. Would you agree from a biblical perspective, or is it the opposite of that? Are they two different issues? Well, I don't think that there's any dispute about that, that alcohol and drugs hasten sexual involvement. Uh, I don't think anybody would dispute. I think all the research which show that people who are young, young people who are involved with either alcohol or drugs, um, it, what it does, it reduces their inhibitions. And as a result of that, when they're in this euphoric state of, of sedation, they feel that they have the liberty to experiment. So I don't think there's any dispute about that, that the, the incidence and the frequency or the, the universal use of drug, whether it be the form of alcohol or, or, or smoking, there's no doubt that this is going to uh, lead to an increase of immorality because it, it goes together. So I don't think there can be any dispute about that. I think the research was, was supported as well. Wherever you find the pervasive use of drugs and alcohol, you always find almost universal immorality begins to take over. Any country would, would, uh, would I think, could, 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 would support, would, uh, any evidence would support that by looking at the countries that have uh, gone in that direction. You've mentioned it very briefly in another comment on this topic. Uh, what's the role of pornography in this problem? Well, I think that uh, we would all agree um, that not you, not me, uh, could watch pornography without being affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, those images remain in your mind for quite some time, and they often are acted out by young people. So when young people uh, have all these other factors, we talk about the media, the breakdown of the family, uh, teaching sex education, now you add to that the incidence of the prevalence of almost the ubiquitous presence of, of pornography, the easy access to it. And by the way, it's not that these children sometimes go looking for it. It comes looking for them, because any one of us who use a computer would know that we get all kinds of things coming into us, and sometimes it's about a, a, a Toyota vehicle, and if you made the mistake of hitting the Toyota, it's not a Toyota, it's a Toyota woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> quite frankly. So that's the way it's done. They're, they're trying to create a complete breakdown of the home and the family, and these people who pro- uh, pro- pro- uh, propagate um, 
pornography, they are trying to get children involved at a earlier and earlier because once you get hooked on this thing, you become addicted to it. Um, it becomes so pervasive in society that um, the home, quite frankly, cannot stand this avalanche of pornography that is, is coming there. Marriage cannot stand it either. So definitely it's a correlation between the two. And I, I, I you know, I thank God that uh, um, my children were brought up in St. Lucia, in the country. And they didn't have access to a lot of things, including a computer and cell phones. And I think that the the way they've turned out and the, the stuff like that, I think substantially if they were exposed to these type of things on a regular basis, I am not too sure they would have turned out as successful as they have, have been. And I am very sympathetic to parents today who are dealing and coping with this kind of thing. I mean, you, you can be the best parent and given the best moral teaching and then it all breaks down when the child goes to school uh, and with their friends etc etc a question from a listener in relation to dating at what age is it appropriate for my daughter to begin dating i i look i would think that you should use your judgment on that matter um i would think that while the child is going to school especially in um, the uh, secondary school I I would be very reluctant to encourage dating on that matter. No, it's if you're going to have like depends in a church setting, for example. If you're going to have a, a camp, a church camp, and most church camps would have like a banquet after the camp or something like that. I mean, something like that that is is is, is kind of casual and not serious. I I would uh, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I think you as a parent uh, have to know your daughter or your son. And I think that should be the, the the standard by which you decide what you think is appropriate. You would know them, or you, you you would observe them. You know if they're sneaky. You know if they're private. You know if they're stealthy. You know if they're can you trust them? Uh, I would think that those are a, a lot of factors that you have to take into consideration. And based on that, I, I think you should should guide you. But I don't think there's any set line saying whether it should be 17 or 18 or 19 or 20, whatever it is. I just think that you as a parent are responsible enough to know if you can trust your child. And um, based on that capacity to trust, I think you could um, decide on what you think is suitable. However, I would suggest to you that <clears throat> if they are going to go on a date, um, it would be good if they have a chaperone, mm-hmm. uh, especially these young people. That means have an adult with them uh, or have two or three couples that go together but one person is one couple is a senior I think that's the way you do it that's what I would recommend any other reasons for why we have this sex problem in society that you want to mention we've got about five minutes left in the program I don't know if you want to try and cover all of this in this episode or carry over well uh, I think too Nathan that one of the big problems uh, really is that parents really uh, have not and do not generally speaking, discuss um, these things with their kids. Mm. I think that is one of the big blunders that that, that parents make. Um, One publication, publisher, book wrote this, and I want to quote what they said. It said, most parents uh, did not learn about sexuality from their parents and thus lack role models to help them in approaching their own children. They often perceive themselves... Uh, to be uninformed about sexuality and maybe confused about the sexual values they wish 
to communicate to their children. The, the, the thing is this, that if you don't have a, an upbringing where your mom taught you or your dad sat down with you one day and said, listen, Nathan, it's time to let me talk man-to-man, talk with you. Let me yeah. just explain to that. Or you don't have a daughter. Uh, 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 this parent, this, this, this mother has never had her mom done that to her. It is very difficult for her now to sit her daughter down at a certain age as soon as she's uh, getting her period and puberty. So listen, hun, let's sit down, let's talk. Let, let, let me tell you what the birds and the bees and like. That normally doesn't happen in the Caribbean context. So children normally, and by the way, if you don't uh, tell them, they're going to find out and they're going to go to the other source to find out. And uh, so sometimes we as parents feel so shy because we didn't know how to do it. And we are embarrassed now to talk about because nobody ever sat down with us and, and, and had a man-to-man talk and, and showed this is the way to be done. I'm a first-generation um, Christian in my family. My dad certainly never, ever talked about this stuff. My mom, for sure, never talked about it. I learned it on the lights, mm. okay? And I think, generally speaking, most Christians who are first generation don't have a father who have taught them this. Now, because you're first generation and you didn't have a body, you're going to find it very difficult even for you to sit down with your own child because how do you do it, see? And that is where I think that one of the great failures within the, the, the Christian setting is that we really haven't done that for our kids. And as a result of that, they go outside and to find out and they get it from the wrong source and they begin to, uh, to experiment. Uh, one survey of 1,400 uh, parents and children, uh, 3 to 5, found that less than 15% of moms and 8% of dads had ever talked to the children about sex. Now think about that for just a moment. It's a low percentage. And I will tell you that I believe it's much lower here in the Caribbean hmm. than this is because this is an American statistic. It's not a Caribbean statistic, see? So I would, I would say that that is one of the problems uh, that has led to a lot of uh, promiscuity, that the parents haven't done an adequate job in mentoring the child uh, when they reach this particular age where they become curious and have a man-to-man chat, mom-to-daughter chat, chat on this kind of thing. So you're either going to get a uh, secret explanation from their friends or you're going to get a, by, they're going to go out and find, it by, find out by personal experience or parental involvement in this whole matter. And again, Nathan, if this is going to be done and we're going to try to change the whole thing, I do feel that the church should be responsible to try at least with the parents we have to try to at least talk about sex education to the kids and, and, and show them how, how to do it, talk about how to be done. Because they need uh, that kind of help because they themselves were never taught it. So I think that um, another reason for the a lot of it has to do with the they weren't properly mentored in the home and these things were not um, explained to them. Let me mention another one very quickly, Nathan, is, is the relational need that that, that uh, children have sometimes. Uh, a lot of times, uh, young people are not certain about the genuine, authentic love that parents have for them. As a matter of fact, um, 50% of children that was done, a study was done, they were asked, what is the one question you would ask your parents if you could ask them. And here was the question, do you really love me? Wow. Right? And reason for that, there is no, it's not much hugging 
Mm-hmm. There's not much affection being shown. I mean, they meet the needs of the children, no question about that. They, they pay their school fees, they do their books, whatever it is. But the uh, the actual affection, the touching, the hugging, etc., is not done. And, and many times when a girl, especially a girl who has not learned that kind of affection, she's looking for that kind of affection. She wants that relational need met. The mom is not meeting it, dad is not meeting it, and of course, there's always some guy waiting in the wings to take advantage of her, to offer her that relationship that she needs. In the last 30 seconds, and you may very well want to pick this up next week, but is there hope? I don't want to leave us on a negative note. Is there hope for society? I, look, as dismal as it is, as long as the Christian faith is there and the Bible is there and God is there, there's always hope. He's the God of hope. Be sure you tune in next week, and we will continue this discussion along with other questions that have come in. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.